Well, good morning, Storehouse. Uh, I hope that you are doing well. I hope you've had a blessed week. Uh, if you are new and just joining us for our online gathering, uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church in McAllen. Uh, I want to invite you to join me in 1 John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24 uh, this morning. Um, in case you didn't know, uh, we took a break from our series in 1 John to observe uh, Holy Week last week. That is Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and finally Resurrection Sunday. And uh, this week we dive back in to 1 John. We're going to be here for about another uh, five or six Sundays and then transitioning into uh, a new sermon series, which we will tell you guys about as we move forward. While you uh, open your Bible or load your Bible, I have a couple of announcements for you, and then we will dive into our time. Uh, the first one is missional communities. Missional communities for us are the primary avenue, our primary context for discipleship, care and mission. Uh, and although we are unable to uh, meet physically, we're still able to gather creatively. Uh, normally right now that is through uh, technology, things like Zoom or Skype or Google Hangout. Uh, I just want to encourage you to visit our website to learn more about our missional communities and how you can get connected. Many of them are still gathering online right now, so I would encourage you to visit our website to learn more about them. The second announcement I have for you is beginning this Wednesday, we're going to be releasing uh, devotional videos that are taught and led by several members in our church. And so I'm really excited for you to see those. I'm really excited to, to hear them. And so again, that's going to be released on Wednesday morning. Uh, they're going to be on our Facebook page in addition to our website. So be sure you uh, stay posted on social media and our website. The third announcement is uh, on Tuesday, both on our website uh, and through Facebook, we're going to be releasing a kids and family worship guide. Um, this guide is similar to the ones that we um, release on our website for our groups to follow, what we call our discipleship guides. Um, our discipleship guides are sermon-based, so they are questions where you are able to go in a little bit deeper into whatever text was preached on that previous Sunday. This discipleship guide in particular is aimed at kids and family worship. So I hope you guys enjoy that. It was put together by our uh, kids intern, Elsie Reese, and so I'm really excited for that. So be sure to check out our website and our Facebook page so that you can get access to that kids and family worship guide. Uh, I think those are all the announcements I have. Again, if you are just joining us online, we are in 1 John chapter 3, looking at verses 19 to 24. So I used to have uh, a wrestling coach in high school, and his name was Coach Madsen, uh, and he was a phenomenal uh, wrestling coach. Uh, he would push us to the place where pain would eventually become a numb feeling, and all that mattered was mental toughness. In fact, he was so aggressive and influential in my life that I carried many of his training philosophies into college sports, competitive weightlifting, and eventually coaching strength athletes of my own. However, 
there were these occasions that many athletes, such as myself, shared with Coach Madsen that we simply hated, and that was losing a match. He would quote the great Dan Gable and say, you didn't want to beat him, and that's why you lost. Losing a match wasn't simply a personal defeat. It felt like we were disappointing our coach over and over again. And the honest truth is, we believe that if we could simply gain his approval, we would become better athletes, uh, we would become overall better individuals, and he would take notice. Tragically, defeats were discouraging, defeats were disappointing, and even victories were short-lived. Have you ever had a Coach Manson? Maybe for you it's a parent. Maybe it's your spouse. Or maybe it's a friend. Maybe your Coach Manson is you. You are your worst critic. And when it comes to failure and disappointment, it is hard to determine who is speaking. Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it your inner Madsen? Or is it the world around you? If you're like me, when my heart is troubled, it's because I lack confidence. And when I lack confidence, I can't tell if I'm being condemned or convicted. And when I lack confidence, I begin to operate not out of my identity in Christ, but I begin to operate out of fear, confusion, and anxiety. Many of you I know can relate to this, and it just feels like you cannot satisfy God, you cannot satisfy others, and you wrestle with doubt and fear. Others don't necessarily struggle with things like this, and man, we praise God for his work in you. And the Apostle John has an encouraging word for you and I today. And so here's, here's the main idea for our time. Confidence before God is the result of sonship. I want to say that one more time. Confidence before God is the result of sonship. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to just read our passage uh, for this morning. Actually, I'm only going to read the first two verses, um, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive into our time. And so this is what John has for us, beginning in verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Let's pray. God, as we come before you uh, in worship, may we come before you humbled. God, may we come before you um, expectant to, to hear from you, anticipant to hear from you, um, as we come before you, God, may we be emptied of our pride so that our souls would be filled by your Holy Spirit. God, this morning, uh, I pray that we would be encouraged by your word, um, that we would be convicted by your word, 
and ultimately drawn closer to you uh, because of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Once again, Lord, may we come before you humble and empty of pride. May we come uh, before you with hearts ready to worship and to receive your word so that we would be transformed um, into the image of Jesus. God, for those who know Jesus, I pray that they would come to know him better this morning. And for those who don't know Jesus, I pray that they would come to know Jesus uh, today. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide our time, uh, that you would keep uh, uh, doing a work in us, uh, and that you would fill us with your presence. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with verse 20 and 21, because I think not only do they set the tone for our time, but these two verses are incredibly important. They're incredibly important because John is reaffirming what he has already said in the previous verses. If you look to verse 19, he opens by saying, By this we shall know that we are of the truth. The word this is referring to what he has just told us in the previous passage, and that is that as Christians we are to love one another, uh, that we are to pursue one another in love and deed. And so this is just a reaffirmation. Um, of what he has already said, but that's important for the rest of the context in this passage. Another reason that these first two verses are important is because John says something um, that is very significant for you and I, and we need to know that, and that is that our hearts will condemn us. He says this in the same passage where he writes, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than than our heart. That's a, that's a key phrase in these first two passages. Again, that is that our hearts will condemn us. And so here's what I want you to know, okay? When our hearts condemn us, it is important for you and I to know the difference between condemnation and conviction. You see, in condemnation, Christians tend to respond in one of three ways. One of the ways is that we tend to respond with doubt, discouragement, and defeat. That we ultimately sit in our guilt and shame. Sometimes we would phrase it this way, that we wallow in our discouragement or doubt, or that we wallow in our guilt and shame. What makes this incredibly dangerous is that we lose sight of God's work for us. One of the other ways in which Christians can respond is that because we read this passage and because we see that John writes, once again, uh, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Some Christians will read that and respond in a way that justifies their actions. In other words, they will say, well, God really knows my heart. And because God really knows my heart, I'm not condemned by him. I don't have to be condemned. And so sometimes we tend to justify our sin or worse, we tend to excuse use our sin. The third way in which Christians can respond is when they allow condemnation to turn into conviction. Now, I want to preface, that can be hard sometimes. 
However, it's not impossible. In verse 24, John says, um, And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given. You see, for the Christian to go from condemnation to conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of the Spirit indwelling in the Christian. So, as a result, in conviction, Christians will respond with the following. Christians will respond with confession. You could see it this way, or you can think of it this way. That in condemnation, what the Christian can do is chew the meat and spit the bones, so to speak. In other words, when condemnation comes before the Christian, we are able to look at it and actually take ownership of what needs to be taken ownership of. Or whatever it is that we need to address. This would be confession. This would be that we're not better than this, but we're actually examining ourselves. We are examining the condition of our heart and wherever it is that we need to take ownership and whatever it is that we need to confess specifically, we will do so. In addition to that, confession or in confession for the Christian, we recognize that the grace of God is our only hope. And it is only by the grace of God that we can not only receive our conviction, but turn from our sin and fix our eyes on Jesus. Finally, after confession and repentance, the Christian can find assurance in the truth about God for them. I want to talk a little bit about that in just a minute. But to summarize this section, the distinct difference between condemnation and conviction is that it is only one of them that operates out of sonship. That's incredibly important. And so I want you to know, God did not make a mistake when he chose to save you in Christ. That sometimes when we are wrestling with doubt and wrestling with discouragement, sometimes we feel like, now why would God want someone like me? Why would God love me? I'm waiting for him to press the eject button. What John is telling us in these first two verses is that not only did God not make a mistake, number two, when your heart condemns you, for the Christian who has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and let that lead you to conviction so that you would confess, repent, and find assurance. Again, the key from going uh, from condemnation to conviction is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian. And so it leads us to the question of assurance or reassurance. How do we find reassurance? How do we combat condemnation? How is it that we can go from condemnation to conviction, even as we have the Holy Spirit in us? Well, I'm going to give you two things. We're going to focus on one right now. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul tells us that our offensive weapons, that the Christian has two weapons of, of, of offense. Number one, it is the Word of God. And number two, it is prayer. Okay? We're going to talk about the Word of God right the Word of God right now. And so as it pertains to the question that I just presented, how do we find reassurance? How do we combat um, how do we combat condemnation? The answer is knowledge. Knowledge that is rooted 
in the Word of God. Now, I want to unpack that just a little bit, because that's what John is talking about in verse 19. By this, what he was referring to in the previous passage, we shall know that we are of the truth. We have to know what the truth is. The truth that God, or excuse me, the truth that John is referring to is the truth about God as revealed to us in his word. Sometimes when we hear knowledge, we really just want to think about our heads being filled with collected information. But we know throughout the teachings of Scripture that knowledge only puffs up an individual, that it leads them to conceit, it leads them uh, to arrogance and pride. Additionally, when it comes to knowledge, it is not something that is meant to just stay in our heads. In fact, the knowledge of God ought to transform our hearts. When we receive knowledge about who God is and what has, he has done for us, not only do we receive uh, knowledge about what he has done, but we are receiving knowledge about what he is doing in us, about the work that he is doing in us, and that is namely changing our hearts, giving us a new heart, giving us a new desire. As a result of receiving a new heart, we can't help but actually follow through with worship and love and deeds, serving one another. So knowledge is not just tied up, or excuse me, knowledge is not simply bound to only um, intellect. It is because of that that it flows from our head to our heart and to our hands. Anyway. When it comes to finding reassurance and combating um, condemnation, it's going to be that we combat it with knowledge. That is the Word of God. I talk about this often on Sundays, where it, the question seems to be, uh, do you find yourself devoted to the Word of God? And the truth is that that's still the question. Whether we're in a season like the coronavirus or out of a season like the coronavirus, where we were six weeks ago, do you find yourself devoted to the Word of God? That is, devoted and not distracted. That is, devoted and completely dependent. That is, devoted and growing. That is, devoted and completely, fully present. It doesn't matter the season. The question remains the same. If you and I are going to combat uh, condemnation, if we're going to understand how to respond as sons and daughters, then we must combat it with knowledge that is rooted in God's Word. Therefore, we must know what God's Word says. So again, whether in or out of the season, are you devoted to the Word of God without distraction and being fully present? Additionally, one of the other questions I want to pose is, well, how do we find assurance? Like, it's one thing to have knowledge, but at what point does prayer come in? I heard one pastor say it this way, I can't read scripture without praying, and I can't pray without uh, quoting scripture. And I think that's very, very true. And so what John is going to do here is he tells us that knowledge or the truth about God is what we use to combat condemnation. And as a result of that truth, we are able to be reassured, and he uses this language, we are able to be reassured before him. 
What he's talking about is prayer. And so let's transition into the next couple of verses. This is verses 21 through 23. I'll read them. Actually, I'm going to pause in a couple of areas. So John says, I'll read from verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Here's what I want you to know. Confidence before God involves us coming before him in prayer. So that's the first thing. As the result of us not being condemned by our heart, that is, man, we're able to use the word of God, the knowledge of God to combat condemnation. As we approach God in prayer, you and I need to take that seriously. And the truth is that as Christians, um, we don't always take prayer seriously. We often leave it to devotions or apps or even sermons to do the praying for us. Oftentimes in prayer, we give eloquent thoughts or repetitive or even empty words and phrases. Sometimes for many Christians, prayer is psychological in the sense that they are just trying to do it or they are trying to enter into a time of prayer just to feel better. Oftentimes, prayer seems like a time that has been inconvenienced uh, for many of us. And the truth is, is that if we could swipe right uh, for uh, prayer to be either received or for it to be done, we would. And the truth is, we kind of do that with check, uh, like check boxes. And so here's what I want you to, to listen to. This is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and this is what he says prayer is. Okay, He writes, prayer is something in which we turn our backs upon everything else, excluding everything else, while, for the time being, we find ourselves face to face with God alone. Here's what he's saying. Prayer is where we draw near to God because we are in the presence of God. And it is only in the presence of God where we are humbled. Just stay with me for a second there. In prayer, in the presence of God, you and I are absolutely humbled and vulnerable. In prayer, there is an intimate grace that requires vulnerability of you and me. That's what it means for you and I to enter into prayer with God. Additionally, I want you to listen to the author of Hebrews. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. The author writes, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you and I are to receive mercy and grace, it is because we have been exposed and are vulnerable in this time, in this moment, before the presence of God. Because of assurance, we can have confidence before God as sons and daughters because of the work of Jesus for us. Prayer is serious. It can be intense. 
whatever you want to call it or however it is you want to approach it, make no mistake, in prayer we ought to be, uh, our, our posture ought to be one of humility because we are going to be made vulnerable before God. In prayer, we get a clear picture of the condition of our heart. And John is going to continue to unpack what involves prayer. So it certainly is confidence as sons and daughters, but he also wants to address confidence in terms of requests. Um, This is what he says. He goes on to say, We have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. See, as sons and daughters, we have a heavenly father who loves us and gives us really good gifts. He blesses us abundantly with his grace, and he is for our joy. Therefore, in prayer, we can submit our requests to him because of our disposition and our obedience. John continues, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. See, when it comes to keeping his commandments, that is, uh, obedience, when it comes to that, God delights in us when we obey because we are sons and daughters. In other words, God is not delighting in us when we obey so that we would belong to him. It is because we belong to him. It is because we have been approved uh, by him through Jesus. See, when the father looks at you, man, Jesus intercedes and says, he or she is with me. Therefore, they belong to you. And so as a result of that, when it comes to obedience, it is because we are children of God. Therefore, he delights in us when we obey. Additionally, uh, John talks about our disposition, that is, the condition of our hearts. You see, God not only uh, delights in us when it comes to our obedience, but he delights in the condition of our heart behind that obedience. That is, that our hearts are aligned with his will. I think about the parent who tells their children to to, to do a couple of chores, to knock out a couple of chores around the house. And the the child does it, uh, but their heart is not necessarily one that is aligned with the parent. They might do it begrudgingly. They might do it and they look miserable doing it, right? And you would say, or they would even argue, well, at least I did it. I did what you asked me to do. But in addition to that, what pleases mom, what pleases dad is the heart of their son and daughter in obeying. And that's what God is saying through John, that meant he is, uh, part of his character is to answer our prayer. And in addition to that, he wants to answer our prayer because we are obedient to him and our heart has been aligned to his will. Our hearts have been aligned with his. You see, I think we'll read a verse like that, and we don't necessarily want to talk about the commandment part or our disposition, but we are down to talk about whatever we ask, we receive from him. And the truth is that when our hearts are aligned, that is our disposition, and when we obey because we know that we belong to him as sons and daughters, is this not the place we want to be? Like, Just think about that 
uh, for a couple of seconds. Is this not the place we want to be? Where our hearts are aligned with his will, when we are operating out of our identity as sons and daughters. My concern and my fear is that often our disposition is one of negotiation. That is, if we do certain things, God should give us X, Y, and Z. Or our disposition is one of arrogance, one of legalism. And in both instances, in both occasions, we are not operating out of our identity as sons and daughters. And our disposition is not one of our hearts being aligned to his. At the end of the day, what is driving us is our own personal sinful desires. As a quick reference, I want you to listen to Philippians 4. This is the Apostle Paul, and he gives this beautiful process of prayer. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The process that Paul writes is one that um, teaches us about how to adopt a posture of humility. You see, before we even get to the request, Paul is walking us through uh, us entering into uh, the presence of God with humility and vulnerability. That when it comes to turning to him in prayer, we're going to begin with supplication and thanksgiving. That we begin with who God is, what he has done for us, and then who we are and the condition of our hearts. There's the vulnerability. And then it is after those things that we come before God humbled and make our requests known. John continues in this same section. He continues doing what he does best, and that is progressively intensifying his message. But he does so with the gospel. And we've seen this since chapter 1, where John looks as if he's giving like a systematic list, and it just gets a little bit more intense and more intense and more intense. And he does this on purpose to press into you and I with the gospel. He's not necessarily pressing into us with something new. He's not pressing into us with something that is foreign. He is pressing into us with what we say we believe. And so I'll read that very quickly. And so John wrote, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, that is that we can approach him in prayer. Um, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. That's the disposition and obedience. And then he continues. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Here's, here's the, we're going to break that down. Here's the root of confidence. Right? The root of confidence is twofold. To begin, it is belief in the name of Jesus Christ. The word belief involves surrender. It is not simply intellect. It is us surrendering in agreement. It is us following through. Just like we discussed last week, uh, the word faith. Faith involves the truth about God. 
It involves agreement with that truth. And then finally, it involves surrender. That is what he is writing about here when he says belief in the name of Jesus Christ, that it involves surrender. So church, who do you surrender to? Is it the inner Madsen? Or is it the name or the person and work of Jesus? God is pleased with you. And he is for your joy because of Jesus. Outside of this, outside of Jesus, we are destined to place our belief, our belief system in that which cannot save. That includes marriage. That includes parenthood. That includes placing our belief in individuals. And the problem with that is that you and I hold a job description to individuals who cannot save us and cannot transform us, who cannot give us a renewed mind and cannot give us a new heart. And inevitably, they will faithfully fail you and I. And so as a result, we experience discouragement or defeat. We experience anger. We feel misunderstood or undervalued or not heard. And the problem is that you and I have a job description that only Jesus can fulfill. Only Jesus can meet our needs. When we surrender or place belief in individuals or things that cannot save, we are inevitably going to be faithfully failed. Number two, uh, what John says is that we would love one another. So this kind of goes back to uh, the knowledge about God, the head, heart, and the hands. So that is that knowledge isn't just kept in our intellect, but as a result of that, it helps to transform the condition of our hearts so that we would follow through and surrender with what that says. The gospel leads to transformation. It is not simply collected data or information. And so love for one another, which has been a theme that we have been talking about in 1 John for the last couple of weeks, love for one another involves sacrifice. It's going to cost you as we love one another. However, the Christian loves sacrificially, and the Christian does that willingly. Sometimes we'll hear that love for one another is going to be, it's going to cost us. It's going to be sacrificial. And so we tend to weigh the cost of that, whether it's time or, or generosity with finances, or even if it's just our presence, or even in how we speak to one another, approach one another, we think about the, the, the benefits. Well, how is this going to weigh out? But the truth is that sacrifice is something that is willingly done by the Christian because it was first demonstrated by Jesus for us. Additionally, love for one another involves humility. This is where Paul in Philippians 2 writes to consider others as more significant than yourselves. The truth is, what makes you so different than your brother or your sister? What makes you so different that if you both know Jesus, then his work has transformed both of you. And so it's going to involve sacrifice and humility. However, both are rooted in a willingness to do it, in a willingness to love one another. The author of Hebrews uh, says it this way. This is chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. He says, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled. Love for one another, yes, it involves sacrifice. It involves humility, and the Christian exercises both willingly, because it is the Christian who has a renewed heart, because it is the Christian who knows what Jesus has done for them. Sonship involves both the work of Jesus and the example of Jesus as the Father's Son. Because not only does he demonstrate this for us, he also reconciles us to the Father. In other words, Jesus wasn't just a good example of how we ought to live. His work on the cross reconciles man to God. It is the work of Jesus that saves sinners who call upon his name so that they are transformed and it is his example that enables us to pursue one another. And so I'll close with more questions, because apparently that's what I do. And that is, well, how is any of this possible? How are we to be empowered and enabled to seek God and to pursue one another, to combat the inner Madsen, to combat condemnation? Well, John tells us in the last verse. He writes, and by this we know that he abides in you, excuse me, and by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. John says that all of this is made possible. All of this is made possible through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. One of my favorite definitions for the word abide is to remain in a fixed position. Think about it, to remain in a fixed position, that we are grounded in the finished work of Jesus for us on the cross and his example. It's not just one, it is both. And so one saves us and transforms us, the other one shows us how we ought to walk. Additionally, when it comes to us abiding by the Holy Spirit, I think what John is getting at is that you and I are also to pursue progress and not perfection. You see, that whole inner critic, inner Madsen, it's always going to be really, really loud because we're trying to be or operate out of an identity that's simply not us. And so as a result, I think the encouragement here is to pursue progress and not perfection. It means that you still have to do something. You do have to do something about your sin. You do have to address one another. You do have to combat condemnation. You do have to devote yourself to the Word of God. You do have to submit yourself to uh, the work of the Spirit. Because you're being transformed into the image of Jesus. You're being transformed to be made more and more like Jesus. This is uh, John Stott. Here's what he said. This is concerning the work of the Spirit in us. If we would set our hearts at rest when they accuse and condemn us, we must look for evidence of the Spirit's working, and particularly whether He is enabling us to believe in Christ, to obey God's commands, and to love our brothers. For the condition of Christ dwelling in us in of our dwelling in him is this comprehensive obedience 
And the evidence of the indwelling is the gift of the Spirit. Here's what John is saying. When we combat condemnation, when we combat that inner Madsen, it is not just us combating that feeling or that kind of a season with knowledge. We are combating it with the knowledge about God and the fruit in our lives because of the work of the Spirit. Remember what John said in the previous passage. You're going to demonstrate love by loving one another in love indeed. Right? Or in truth indeed, I think is how he said it. And so all of this is John encouraging us to come before God in prayer so that we would find assurance in the truth and in the fruit of the gospel in our lives because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Is your heart troubled? And do you lack confidence? Confidence is the result of sonship. Christian, are you troubled? Come before him today. Not just to simply repent of your sin, but to confess your sin, to adopt a posture of humility and vulnerability. I promise you there is comfort there, but in addition to that, there is grace and mercy. Turn away from your sin. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, he invites you to come to know him. You know what he offers you? He offers you sonship, a new heart with new desires. Storehouse, I, I miss you. I cannot wait for the day that we get to gather once again to sing and praise God for his work in our lives and to, to hang out and be with one another. For now, let us draw near to him with confidence as sons and daughters. Let's pray. God, as we begin to close our time, um, Lord, would you meet us where we are? Where, where we are? Would um, you grant us the grace to, to, to be vulnerable before you, to uh, adopt a, a posture of humility before you so that we would receive your mercy and grace? God, in this time, as we respond to not just the preached word, but as we respond to the work that you are doing in us, would you draw us closer to yourself for your glory? God, as we close our time, <clears throat> as we close our time, may you give us the courage through your Holy Spirit to come before you in confidence, in humility, and vulnerability. May you give us courage through your Holy Spirit to confess and lay our sin before you so that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus, so that we would repent, and so that we would respond to uh, that, that loud critic, that inner mad sense, that we would respond even to one another, so that we would respond as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.